0: You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. Why don't you tell someone or ask someone the title of my sermon this morning, what happens when we die? What happens when we die? If someone's smiling at you after asking that question... Let's hope they have the answer uh, to this question. Um, After how many months and many sermons in between, this morning we are finally getting back to our Gospel of John series. If you recall last year, we started this journey in John's Gospel, and after 24 sermons, we made it all the way to chapter 5 of the book. So I calculated, and at this rate we will be done this entire book, after three or four years. So praise God for that. But that's that's okay. We're, we're studying the book uh, passage by passage, verse by verse, word by word, as we should. You, you know, as, as the pastor of Plus Life, it is a dream of mine to have gone through every book of the Bible together as a church and have studied it together as a church. I, I think that would be a testament to God's faithfulness to us and, and also a, a, a testament of our desire to study God's word, to prioritize God's word above everything else. So join us for the next few months as we endeavor to unpack John's gospel of all its truth. Now, if you recall, the reason why we started this series, a study in the first place, is to propagate the sufficiency of Christ as the Savior, the supremacy of the gospel, gospel over all other truths, and to cultivate a sincerity in our relationship with the Savior by getting to know him more through John's gospel. And as you may recall, this is John's desire, his purpose as well for writing this gospel. If you remember John's thesis statement all the way at the end of, his, of the book, John chapter 20 verse 31 says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ." The Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. John's gospel is an evangelistic book. He writes it so that others would come to believe in Christ as their Lord and Savior. He, he writes it to point out the sufficiency of Christ as uh, the sufficiency of Christ to save. And that unlike the, the many rituals and, and laws of, and of the faith of his day, John's claim was that Jesus was and is enough. And that's because, as John points out, all throughout his gospel, Jesus was, in fact, who he said he was, the Son of God. Now, throughout his gospel, John also makes the claims of the benefits of believing in Christ, so the promises we receive for putting our faith in Christ, and that is namely having life in his name. Keep that in mind as we go through our, our passage today. All of this is an appeal to his readers to believe in Christ for salvation, for salvation. Again, John's gospel is written to be evangelistic in tone and content. So with that said, as we return return to this series, please take this opportunity to invite your friends, your unbelieving co-workers, your your family members who, who have not yet put their faith in Christ because every week the gospel will be presented and an opportunity to believe in our Lord will be there. So please keep that in mind as we go through the series for the next couple of months. Also, if you want to review any of the previous sermons to get caught up to where we are in in, in, uh, John, please refer to the podcast and the sermons online uh, and all all the the podcast uh, streaming services that we have. Now, where we left off is in the middle of chapter 5. If you you recall at the beginning of chapter 5, Jesus had just healed a paralytic man who was sitting beside the pool of Bethesda on a Sabbath day. This starts some conflict with the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, because they thought, or they assumed, that Jesus had broken some Sabbath laws. The, accusi- the accusations of the- these religious leaders prompts Jesus then to begin explaining his authority as the Son of God. Jesus explains how God is his authority father, therefore claiming to be equal with God in nature. He says that what he does is the same thing that the father does, making him equal with God in power. Jesus explains how the father has given him authority to judge specifically those who don't believe him, therefore making him equal with God in authority. He says in in the verses right before our our passage in, in John chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, he says, for the father judges no one, But has given all judgment to the Son that all may may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So that's where we left off. Jesus explaining his nature, his power, and his authority that is equal with God the Father. Again, all of this being a response against the religious leaders of his day who rejected and accused him of wrongdoing. Now, this is the context of our passage as mentioned, and this is where we're coming into in our passage. Jesus just identified himself as the Son of God. What happens in our passage is a continuation of this discourse. But what Jesus is doing is what Jesus ends up doing as he's elaborating these truths to his here is is he's actually answering a question that humanity has been asking for years and centuries and all throughout the history of humanity. And, and what is this question, as, as you probably have guessed from our title, what happens when we die? I'm sure every single person in this room has at some point asked this question or has heard someone else ask this question. Uh, just by a show of hands, who's ever, asked, who's ever asked this question or heard someone ask this question, what happens when we die? Just put up your hand. Amen. Right? I'm sure, again, I'm sure everyone has asked this question at some point. This is one of the greatest mysteries of life and has produced more answers than any other questions ever asked over the course of human history. This is the question that every religion seeks to answer, every scientist seeks to quantify, and every human being that is aware of their mortality has to fear and, and, and be anxious over and try to remedy what happens when we die. Even in an age where the material has been elevated over the spiritual, where it's all about you know, the, the physical body and your identity and sexuality and living your best life today. Even in a world where the motto is, you only live once. The question of what happens when we die is still, is still, uh, is still seeking to be answered and reconciled. I mean, even that motto that we just said, right? Well, you only live once. That is literally an answer To this question, an answer that is full of lies, by the way, and, and fatal consequences if believed and lived out. This question of what happens when we die is at the root of many fears and worries and anxieties for those who have come to terms with their mortality. It's a fear of the unknown, of what will happen next it 's uh, to our, again what happens next to, to our minds our our, our, our being, our, our soul, if we have one, most world religions suggest some sort of scale of, of measure to, for our good deeds and our bad deeds, you know or, or some would suggest that you enter back into the cycle and, and be reincarnated, others suggest that you you fade into nothing. yet with all these answers and theories, none give any clarity. To, or even hope to this answer, what happens when we, when we die. But that is not the case with Jesus, as we'll see in our passage. Our passage gives us Christ's answer to this age-old question, and you would be surprised to know that it is unlike any other answers that any other human being or religion or philosophy has come up with over the years. It is an answer full of hope and certainty, an answer that clarifies without a doubt what happens to us when we die. My desire as we unpack our passage this morning. And, and, and Christ's answer to this question. Is that if you this morning still fear death. And what lies beyond. If you have yet to find the certainty and answer. And hope in this, from, from this age old question. That you would do so today. That by God's grace and by the leading of his spirit. You would find hope and peace. To this answer, a living hope that is in the person of Jesus Christ. And for those of us who here who already know the answer to this, who have found the answer to this question, my desire is that you would be reminded of that hope and that certainty that we have in in Jesus Christ alone. That that your 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 security, your faith, your assurance in Christ would be bolstered and edified. This morning. So let's get into it. Let's, let's see Jesus' answer to this age-old question of what happens when we die. Let's jump into our passage. Someone say, jump for me, please. So the first thing we see, let's go back to verse 24 a little in our passage. If you have your Bibles, you can look at that with me. Let's go back to verse 24 because this, is, this verse is connected to what we're reading this morning. The first thing that we see in this, in our passage, is Jesus started his answer with this phrase, Truly, truly, I say to you. And he does the same thing, by the way, in verse 25 of our passage. Now, this expression that Jesus that, that Jesus commonly uses, is to signify that what follows in his statement is absolutely true. It's a very true statement. In fact, in the original Greek, this phrase actually translates to amen. The same amen that we use at the end of our prayer. So Jesus is actually saying amen and amen when he says truly, truly, or in some translations, verily, verily. The difference in using amen at the beginning of a statement was to signify that that, that what that what follows is absolutely true the truth this is a truth coming from not just uh, from you know this, this isn't just somebody's truth this is the truth coming from First-hand experience from first-hand uh, knowledge. This is objective truth. And this is what Jesus is implying about the following statement. In, 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 that it is objective truth. That this is the truth of reality. And what is this objective truth that Jesus is talking about here in verse 24? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. More literally translated, uh, that eternal life is more literally translated as an unending physical and spiritual life. So already from Jesus' statement, he's answering a very crucial part of this question of what happens to us when we die. Which is, is there life after death? Is there something after this life, after death? The answer is, yes, according to Jesus There is a physical life as well as a spiritual life. And for those who hear the words of Christ and believe in the one who sent him, they will experience eternal, unending life in both those cases, in both physical and spiritual life. Now, in case you were wondering, why does it say that that this eternal life is for those who believe in the one who sent Jesus, as opposed to those who believe in Jesus? I I thought, you know, we're supposed to believe in Christ, and, and that's how we have salvation, that's how we receive salvation. Well, it's the same thing, really, right? If you remember from the beginning of this discourse, Jesus equates himself already with the Father, God himself, the one who sent him, And again, right before our passage, Jesus says that if we honor Him, we also honor the Father. So to believe in God, the one who sent Christ, is really to believe in Christ as well. We hear Christ's words and we believe them. And by believing them, we are believing in the one who sent Him. I hope that's clear. Now, Jesus doesn't stop there. He doesn't just imply that there is an eternal life to be received for those who believe. He also clarifies that this eternal, he also clarifies what this eternal life implies in, verse, in the rest of that verse, verse 24. He says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Then he explains what that means. He says, he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. The word here in the original Greek is krisis. It's where we get the word crisis from it's more it means a decree a sentencing oftentimes associated with a negative verdict so what jesus is implying is that there is a judgment to come a negative sentencing for those who do not hear and believe John makes it a point to emphasize this judgment. In fact, in this this passage alone, we see him use this idea of judgment three times, or Jesus repeats this three times. First, in verse 24. The second, in verse 27, where Jesus reiterates that that authority has given to him to carry out this judgment. Then in verse 29, where Jesus says that some will rise to the resurrection of judgment. So Jesus is very clear, right? Right? What happens when we die? There is judgment. There is judgment. The Bible says it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. This is referring to a time when everyone who has ever lived will stand before the throne of God and be judged. Apostle John himself, when he receives a revelation of Jesus Christ and he sees the future events, he testifies of this judgment. He sees a vision of this judgment. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, and we'll go to verse 11. John writes, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So there is a time coming, folks, where everyone who has ever lived will stand before the great throne of God. Books will be open, and everyone's deeds will be revealed. And anyone whose name is not found in the book of life will be thrown into the lake of fire, which is, again, the second death. That's the judgment. And, and the lake of fire is the punishment. Now you might be thinking, well, this is nothing new, right? Most cultures and religions have a similar uh, talking point, a similar concept of a judgment and a place of punishment and torment as well. Well, here's the difference. Here's where Jesus differs and why, again, Jesus is sufficient and why the gospel is superior. Look to John chapter 3 with me. John chapter 3, verse 18 to 19. Jesus says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. The word for judgment and condemned, by the way, is the same in the original Greek. But whoever does not believe is condemned, or rather judged, already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So far it matches with what Jesus has already said in chapter 5, right? If you don't believe, you're going to be judged. That's That's fine. But here's the explanation. This is the reason why Jesus gives this. He says this to why people are being judged. Verse 19. And this is the judgment. This is the verdict. This is is the verdict against humanity, the guilty verdict against everyone who who will be judged. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. See, here's the difference between Jesus and these other world religions and philosophies and faith leaders. The Bible says that if we don't believe in Jesus, we are condemned, we are judged already. There is no waiting until the afterlife. There's no waiting until the next life where you stand before our throne and they weigh out your good deeds and your bad deeds. The Bible says that we are already condemned. We are already judged to the lake of fire, to the second death if we do not believe in Christ because our works are evil. That's referring to our sin nature. The depravity of humanity, that which, that which we inherited from our father, Adam, and that which taints us and condemns us to eternal punishment. The Apostle Paul says in Romans, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's me, that's you, that's everybody around. The reality is we have already been judged. And what happens when we die is if we do not believe in Christ, we will experience punishment you experience a second death in the lake of fire. But I thought, you know, the books will be open, right? We just read in, in Revelation that the, the books will be open and everyone's deeds will be revealed. Right, but the only thing that matters is whether or not your name is found in the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. Read that passage again. Jesus himself says this in our passage, right? In verse 28 of chapter 5. He says, do not marvel at this for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. What's the the good that, that we could do to gain the resurrection of life? What's Jesus talking about here? It's not good works. It's not being a morally sound individual. It's not living a perfect life or having a perfect attendance to church Or praying certain prayers however many times. No. Again, as Jesus has already stated in our passage, right? He's not contradicting himself here. He says in verse 24 again, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal Jesus says the same thing in verse 25, right? Truly, truly, I say to you, another absolute statement, another truthful, truthful uh, statement here. An hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. It's not by good works. It's not what, about what we can do, what good we could ever do. It's all about faith. Hear and believe. This is, that is the only good thing that we can that one can do to receive the resurrection of life according to Jesus himself. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 to 9, very clear passage here. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of what works, so that no one may boast. Very clear. Not by works all by faith. Meanwhile, going back to verse 29 again, just as, as those who have believed will rise to eternal life, Jesus says those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Again, what, is, what evil is being done here? It's our sin nature, our rejection of Christ, our choice to, to love the darkness rather than the light. It's disbelief this, it's this of the truth. Apart from Christ, apart from faith in Christ, we are condemned, we are judged already. That is what happens when we die. But the good news, the gospel, as we just read, that is not the only thing that happens or could happen when we die. Because as stated multiple times by Christ in our passage alone, there is life. There is life. What happens when we die, there is life. Let's go back to verse 25 now, the top of our passage, the second very true statement that Jesus gives us. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Jesus is reiterating that those who hear the words of the Son of God and believe in it will live. Notice again that this truth that Jesus is referring to is unlike the teachings of any other faith leaders or other religions. Again, while other faith religions will say that when you die, you will face judgment, and, and there will be a weighing of your good deeds against your bad deeds, and if your good deeds outweigh the bad, then you will have life. You'll, you'll enter into a time of a place of paradise, a, a better place in the cycle of rebirth or whatever it is. That's what other religions say. But you see, there's no certainty. In that, do you see that how there is no assurance in that? How how your life in the next, how your life in the next life is ultimately left to, to some arbitrary scale of good and bad. Anyone who believes in that kind of afterlife has no hope, has no security, has no assurance that they'll ever get to that sort of paradise that they believe in. And listen, if, if you want an example, right, just, just look at yourself, right? I can, I can speak for myself, right? I feel like no matter how much good I try to do, I end up doing 10 more bad things on top of it. And so if it was up to me, I would, you know, hoping in me to get myself to, the, to, to heaven or to paradise, I'd be very afraid. Anyone else feel this way? Right? So if, if, if I were to really believe in that idea that my paradise in the next life is dependent on me, determined by me and my good works, I really have no hope. Neither of us do. But now contrast that to what Jesus says in our passage, verse 25. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here, present tense, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. It's not may live, it's not you know after we weigh out the good and bad, then possibly live, it's will live. Not only does Jesus' words reassure us of life, those who hear will live, but he also reassures us that that life does not just take place after we die, but in fact begins in this life. The life that Jesus has to offer us is not only available to us, only after we have given up the last breath, right? It's available to us today, right? We just sang about it. It's hope in this life. It's, it's freedom from insecurities and depression. It's, it's, it's strength in the times of darkness and weaknesses. It's the ability to fight off sin and temptation. We have life, the opportunity to live today. See, here's the reality Jesus is alluding to. In our sin, we are dead. Jesus says again, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. That's us. That's us in our sin prior to Christ. We are just dead. Jesus is reiterating what he's already established all the way back in verse 24 again, right? Uh, that, that those who, who believe in him will pass from death to life. It is only when we hear and believe in Christ that we transition from being dead to being alive. The apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 to 5, I love this passage, he says, and you are dead in the trespasses." And sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is at work the and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's who we were. That's who we are before Christ, without Christ, we are just dead like the rest of the world. Again, in our sin, we are just dead. Verse four, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Amen. This is the hope that we have in Christ. For those who have put their faith in Jesus as their Savior in Christ, you, all, you are alive today no longer dead in your sin and only able to do the things of the flesh, only able to disobey God, only able to pursue and love darkness, only, the things of this, only pursue the things of this world. In Christ, you have been given a new life, a new purpose, a new creation you are, the opportunity to truly live. And this life that we've been given is not just for this life, but also for the next. That's the assurance that we have. That's the answer to that question of what happens when we die. Verse 28 of our passage says, do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life. Again, those who have believed, those who have put their faith in Christ after they die or or when the Lord returns even will rise to new life, to eternal life. This is the gift of God to those who would believe. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, "For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality." When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, "Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting?" This thing of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Church, this is the promise that we have in Christ. The hope that we have that for us who are in Christ, when we die, when our body perishes, we will be given an imperishable body. One that is no longer susceptible to the sting of death or or to sickness or weaknesses, to sin, One that is not susceptible, that, is not, that does not have a corrupted flesh. This is the life that we are assured in, in this life and also in the next for those who hear the words of Christ and believe. Now here's the crucial part of our understanding in all of these things and, and trying to understand or they're trying to grasp the, the answer to this question of what happens when we die. As we try to understand the gift of life that we receive. Look at Verse 26. This is great. For as the Father has life in himself. So so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. This is reinforcing what Jesus already said all the way back in verse 21 of this passage where he says for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The idea that Jesus that Jesus is trying to communicate in these verses is Is that the life that we are gifted, the life that that transitions us from death into the newness of life, is only found in Him. Only found in Christ. The life that we have is only an extension of the life that the Father has given to the Son. In short, we live because Jesus lives. We pass from death to life because Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave and gives us life. And He is the one who will see us through to the other side. So here's the great hope that we have as believers, the great joyful answer that we have to this question that humanity has worried about and feared for all of history. What happens when we die? Listen, there is Jesus. There is Jesus. First Peter chapter one, verse three to five, such a hopeful passage says, "Blessed be the God." And Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to the great mercy He has caused us to be born again to a living hope though through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The imperishable unending eternal life that we are promised is guarded and kept for us by our living hope, our Savior himself. Beloved, our great assurance and our deepest hope is that when we die, or should he return before that time, that we get to be with our Savior in the next life for the rest of eternity. And that is the greatest hope that ought to be the greatest hope. The greatest, as we sang, the greatest treasure that we could hope for. Paul, while he was in prison, writes in in the book of Philippians, he says, To live is Christ and to die is gain. That's him at, at the precipice of death itself. No fear. No worry. Because he knew that if he lived, he would continue to live for the glory of Christ. But if he died, he got to be with his Savior Question, church, is that your hope too this morning? Is that your joy, your satisfaction, the the treasure that you're looking for in the next life? Jesus later says in, in John chapter 17, when he's talking about this eternal life, he says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The language being used here is that of relationship. An intimate relationship between two individuals who where we're both parties have come to know the other fully. See, this is what eternal life is. This is what we're looking towards. This is the answer to this question that, that has been plaguing humanity. Is there life after death? What's, what happens after we die? If you are in Christ, you get to be with Christ. That is the eternal. Life that is eternal hope that we have. It is a full measure of joy in our relationship with God being made available to us without hindrance, without separation for all eternity, without a sinful flesh in the way. This is our joy, our satisfaction, our prize, our reward in the life to come is to be with our Savior and our God, the lover of our souls. Does that bring you delight, church? Does that bring you, does that move your heart? Does it stir your heart to to desire, to want that more? To be like Paul who says to live is Christ and to die is gain. And, And he's left to question, which one do I choose? I don't know. Do you want to be with our Savior more than being with whatever else you have in this life? In John chapter 14, just as we close here. Jesus himself says to his disciples as he's about to go to the cross, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am you may be also that is the savior's desire for us that in the next life when he or when he returns that we will be with him that ought to be the great joy of the believer the thing that we long for the most in this life and in the next and again ask yourself do you long for this so what happens when we die As Jesus has stated, there is judgment for those who are not in Christ, for those who do not believe in Christ. We are judged, we are condemned already. And the punishment is the lake of fire, the second death. What happens when we die, there is also life. For those who believe in Christ, for those who put their faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross, there is life. Not just in, for the next life, but in this life. And not just for this life, but for the next life. What happens when we die? The greatest hope and the greatest treasure, the greatest thing that we look forward to as believers in Christ, is that Jesus, our Savior, will be there. Where he is we will be also. So the invitation is clear. Jesus makes it clear. The only way for us to pass from death to life is not by our good works. It's not by how many good things you do in a day or how many prayers you say or how much you give to charity or whether or not you're a morally good person. The only way to life itself, eternal life is faith in Jesus Christ. Again, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So I invite you, if you have not yet put that faith in Christ, for your salvation, for your hope, and for the next life, and in this life, I invite you to do so today. Jesus is our hope. He is the answer to this great question of what happens when we die. And in him, and only in him do we have eternal life. Let's pray. Oh gracious God and heavenly father. We thank you once again for sending your son. For sending your son so that he might die in our place. For the sins that we have committed in this life and will ever commit in this life. We thank you O oh Lord that. It is by his death, by his sacrifice that we have life today. That we are given, we are afforded life this day by your grace, not deserved, not earned but out of your great love, out of Christ's willing sacrifice. And so Lord, I pray for the heart who who has yet to put their faith in you, who has yet to reconcile with you, that they do so today by putting their faith in the only one who can save them and the only one who can reconcile them to you, Father, in Jesus Christ. I pray also for the believer, God, whose heart has strayed, who has found treasures in this world. I pray, God, for the heart of the believer who is who is forgotten, Lord, the, the real treasure, the real joy of our relationship, of our hope for eternity. And that's you. I pray that you would stir in us a deep longing, a sincere love, a sincere desire, oh God, for the day that you would return or the day that we would come home and meet with you. Lord, what great joy, what great promise we have only in you. You, you. As we just read, God, Lord, you promised that you would go and prepare a place for us. So that where you are, we would be. There's no other hope, there's no other philosophy, no other religious leader, no other person in this life who, can, who has ever promised and who could ever live up to that promise. Only you, Lord Jesus, Pray, O oh God, that you would stir in us fresh joy over our salvation. Fresh longing to be with you, Lord Jesus, the lover of our souls. Help us, so oh God, that we know how much our hearts wander and go astray. Bring our hearts back to you. Bring our hearts back to our first love. May you be changed by your gospel. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.